mind. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Oh, great, great God in heaven, we do thank you so very much for allowing us to pray to you and for hearing us. We uh, are thankful to you for this opportunity to study your word. Please guide us into all truth and grant to us wisdom and knowledge and understanding. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee if it be thy will. Amen. All right, First Peter chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to ask for only because I, I want us to think about uh, when, when Peter's writing about suffering and Christian love, living and struggles, uh, that he's a man who's writing from a qualification. I mean, he, he qualifies, and he qualifies because he's been through it. And he's not telling us or asking us to do something that he himself has not personally been through. So, if you look at verse um, 18, and when they had summoned them, speaking of the apostles, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. But we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go finding no basis on which they might punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. So, you know, he has this this strength and this boldness. And keep in mind, this is the same Peter that denied Jesus, right? But he's grown in his faith. And so here he is now standing up uh, for God. Now, chapter 5, the threats continued. Uh, struggles have happened in their lives with God. Down in verse 28. Back to the same point. You're still preaching about Jesus. So the leaders were saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. So very different, right? The Peter who said, You know, I don't even know who God is. And here the Peter saying, oh no, we, we must stand for God, or we must, if you will, obey God rather than men. This amazing growth and strength. Nothing's changed. There's still the great persecution, right? People are still being executed for the cause of Christ, but Peter's heart has changed. His relationship with God has changed. Now, verse 40, please. And they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus, and then release them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Worthy? Wow, that's interesting. So they saw it in a very unique way, that suffering... Because of Jesus, it wasn't because of them. It wasn't because of their attitudes. It wasn't because they, you know, had of their, you know, their um, occupation as fishermen or uh, their household name. Or it was specifically because of Jesus, and and they felt worthy, like they considered it worthy rather, that God would look upon them and choose them in particular 
to suffer for his name's sake. Kind of interesting, and it's a kind of a it's an interesting way to look at suffering. And this is the same Peter. Now we're going over to First Peter four as we continue in our lesson, and we go over to First Peter four, and he talks to us about suffering and our view of suffering and a reminder of why we are suffering. So godly living in chapter three, and now chapter four, he says, therefore, since verse one. Christ has suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So now there's this idea of what suffering brings, right? It, it produces something. Even James said it, considered all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, right? Because it does something. And so suffering does something as we arm ourselves uh, for Christ what did it do for Peter when he, you know, denying the Lord and the apostles in the early days of their faith? And then as you read through the book of Acts, and you can remember as you've studied Peter and the apostles in, in the book of Acts, their suffering and their struggle. And then in chapter uh, 4 in verse 1, he talks about suffering again, that suffering does something to us or for us. It kind of it transforms us. It, the last, the, the latter uh, phrase, if you will, in that, in that text, verse 1, that because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It, it's something that happens inside of us that gives us an amazing amount of strength, but you have to kind of go through something first. Right? Because then suffering becomes... I don't want to say suffering becomes real. It's obviously real. But, but there's something real about suffering for Christ as opposed to having, um, we might say, uh, a silver spoon in our mouths and we never suffer, right? And everything goes perfectly in our lives, right? And you have heaven on earth. And if you have heaven on earth, you, do you really need to look for heaven if you already have it, right? And we know there's no such thing as heaven on earth. But, but imagine these apostles and and their strength as they suffered, and they said, keep this same purpose that Jesus had, right? Have the same intentions that Jesus had. And even though you suffer, count it, James, all joy, or, or find, if you will, this, this amazing connection with God that He allows you to suffer for his namesake. Right? That the, the Beatitudes of blessed, you know, blessed are you who suffer when people cast insults upon you and say all manner of evil against you for my namesake. There's a blessing in suffering. Right? What do you think about that? Is there truly a blessing in suffering? Has suffering in your life whether it be for uh, Christ in particular or just in general, has it, has it brought a different perspective or a different idea uh, about the shortness of life? Or what has suffering done for you in your life? Anyone? Any thoughts on that? It brings meaning. It brings meaning. That's, it, explain, qualify that. Wait, let me, I'm, so, I'm supposed to do this. Sorry. For the people on... 
Okay, here we go. Thank you. Will you keep it? Regardless of what you're suffering through, he's preparing you for something if you're listening. So you just gain strength with each and every blow if you are keeping your eyes on the spiritual things. So there is a purpose. Yes. There's meaning. Yeah. It gets you ready for... Something else, the next thing. The next thing. Or the thing. next thing. And that next thing might not come for five years, but you're, pre- you're prepared for it. Right. So. Right. Right. Good. I'll hold this until the next person wants it. Okay. Prepares you. Now, let's think about this for a moment. If you're not a Christian, do you suffer? Yes. Right. We do, don't we? So regardless of, of where we are, whether we're out of Christ or in Christ, we're still going to suffer. But the difference is uh, suffering with Christ or being in Christ, God counts you worthy. Right? Number one. And number two, God is preparing you for something that you weren't prepared for. So then is that, does that make suffering good? Amen. Right? Interesting, right? That makes suffering, do we like it? I don't, right? I don't know about you. Yeah, we don't. But, but is there something good that we can find in suffering? Well, yeah, it prepares you for tomorrow. Right? We don't know what tomorrow is. Is going to bring, but we know that Satan is going to be there if tomorrow comes by God's gift and God's preparing us to be able to stand fast, right? Up under the trial that comes our way. Very good. Okay. Look, look if you will, at verse 2, if there are no other comments on that. So as to live. So we're talking about suffering and its purpose and the, the joy and we've ceased from sin. And then comes that challenge of life. So as to live the rest of your time in the flesh no longer for lust or the lust of men, but for the will of God. So there's the transformation that here's what I, here's where I used to be. And he's going to get more. He's going to go a little deeper into the transformation. Here's where I used to live. This is where I used to park my car, right? Right in the middle of sin. You know, that parking spot was all mine, right? Rode all over it. And, and now that I've suffered and, and life is in, in a different my different vantage point, and I'm, I have a different perspective of life, a different idea of life. Now, I, I'm no longer parking my car in, in my life in the middle of sin. Now I'm staying away from, I stay far from that parking lot, you know, that parking spot. I, I park at a distance, but I recognize and realize where I've been. How important is it to remember where you've been? Right? I don't like that too much, but... Where, where was I? What, you know, that bratty teenager or, you know, or a young adult or, I know you're saying, what to, you're still bratty, but not a teenager. But as we grow up, we, this different idea and, and then something happens, right? Here's where I used to live. So verse three, he's talking to the church, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And wait, have any of you in your college days or teenage days, have you, have you ever been in somewhere around or close to? Or Is he talking to us or is he talking to someone else? Right? He's talking to us, isn't he? He said, you know, there was a time, if you remember, when, 
you know, maybe not these specific sins, but maybe maybe some of these sins, you weren't what you are today, <laughs> right? And and so now I think about okay, so yes, that that's true. And there came a point, and I want you to remember this, and maybe you have a, an example or just a memory of this day when you did this for the very first time, the very first time that you told your friends, your family, uh, your co-workers or whomever, you told them, no, I don't do that anymore. Listen to verse 4. And all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation and they malign you. Do you remember the first time that you found the courage, right, or strength or whatever it may be, that to tell your friends, family, or even to tell yourself, no, I don't live that way anymore. I remember. I remember clearly, right, the very first time. And I can remember talking to um, a, a brother in Christ named Reggie, and he, I, I say Reggie, you know, he was older, uh, he was a sergeant, in the military, and he and his wife, Cheryl, they said, we'll open our home up to you whenever you want to come by. You know, we can study, we can play games or whatever, just to give you something else to do. And that was very helpful to me as a, as a young man, just having something else to do, right? And so what a great feeling it was to have something else to do, something else productive and godly and right, right? I was different. I needed that. See, I grew up outside of Christ, and then I was around 19, and I came to Christ, and I had to stop doing what I used to do. Right? It's like, oh, you can't live that way any longer. And then a lot of things I didn't even know I couldn't do, right? I had no clue. I didn't know anything about God. Oh, you can't live that way. You can't do that. Oh, we can't? No. Wow. All right. Well, here it is in the Bible. All right, I no longer live that way. And what was happening as those days went by and as my knowledge grew, what was happening was my friends were saying, hey, what, what's wrong with you? Right? You know, we, why aren't you, do you, are you too good for us now? Do you remember, you heard that, right? You people think you're better than us. Whoa, I just, I just didn't want to go there because that was, I can't, I'm not supposed to do that any longer and, and it's in the Bible and so I don't, yeah, but you're, why, why can't you do that with us anymore? Well, because the Bible said so. And then you start defending yourself. And oh, what an interesting time. And then later it was, I don't want to do that. It's nothing to do with you. I don't want to be that way. And then later it was, you know, I, I love God. <laughs> There's this amazing transition that happens in your life. Does that mean that we still don't, we don't struggle any longer? No, it doesn't mean that. But things are a little bit different. Attitude becomes different, right? You just, your mindset is different. And the world really, they truly don't understand you. My family, they were like, whoa, wait a minute. What, what do you mean? Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a Christian now. So what does that mean? <laughs> we're Christians too. <laughs> Right? Well, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, okay, <laughs> right? 
We never went to church. I don't think that's what Christians do. <laughs> I think Christians go to church. Anyway, um, and so my family thought, wow, what, what's different? What, there's something different. You've changed. You're, you're, living, you're living this new life, and we don't really like it. We don't like the new you. Have you been there? We don't like the new you. You're different. And so comes this, there comes this attitude where, or this mindset where people have said, and they continue to say it about people who love God. You people think you're better than us. And maybe there was some arrogance to me. I mean, maybe there was, I'm not denying any of that, but, but the, the point of the matter is, is they truly malign you, right? They really speak out against you. And they look for, what do they look for? What are they watching for? Yeah, they're watching for you to mess up. Oh, yeah, you love God, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not perfect, but oh, yeah, that's your excuse. You're no different than us. You know, trying to drag me, trying to, you know, drag you back, right? So it's interesting, the transition. So Peter, a man who denied the Lord, and and then he's writing this book. He suffered a bit in his life, and he's writing this book to the saints, and he's talking about being fervent in your love for God, that your love for God has to come first. And even though you're struggling and even though you're suffering for the cause of Christ in your walk of faith, stay true to your love. Isn't that great? He didn't say stay true to obedience. He said stay fervent in your love. Because what does love bring? What does it produce? Obedience, right? And, and everything else that God asks us to, to do or or to be. For the gospel, verse, um, down at verse, um, verse 5, rather. But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, now let me give you a, a wrong way of looking at this. Um, this is the way I used to look at it. You know, but it, it, it was, in my mind, because of my immaturity, it was helpful. Well, God's going to get them back for treating me this way. That's not what, that's the wrong way, but I'm just being honest. Right? I really kind of was, was kind of happy, like, okay, I'm suffering and they're persecuting me, but God's going to get them back. But what that told me was, you don't have to defend yourself because God will defend, and, you know, the wrong, just immaturity. Right? But he's a product of life, the fact that, yeah, there, there's going to be a judgment, and he's going to come right back to that judgment idea later. Remember the audience are strangers and aliens. First Peter 1 and verse 1. There's strangers and aliens in this world. Do you, do you feel like an alien yet or a stranger? We're supposed to, right? We're supposed to kind of feel weird, if you will, in one sense, but at the same time stronger and, and standing for something that's, that's true. The only thing that's actually true, you know, is God. And so it becomes this amazing strength for us. And this, this blessing and, this, and this, uh, this gift. And so when Peter says, we were honored that God counted us worthy, he meant that, right? So look at verse 7. Verse 6, rather, excuse me. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. So, in particular, the Gentiles, but specifically, 
me. Right? There was a time when I was alive, but I was dead. And I thought I was alive. I felt alive. I knew I was alive. But I didn't realize I was dead. And, and every one of us have been at that point. Right? Where you were dead. And then you surrendered to Christ in the waters of baptism. And you came alive. The Gentiles were, were outside of the covenant because of, because of God's choice. But God brought them in. And now those who were dead are alive in the Spirit. And then we who were dead are alive in the Spirit because of ourselves, right? No, because of God. And that's what's so humbling, right? It wasn't me. It was God. And why would God help me to see the truth? Why would He do that for me? Why would, why would he, why would he die on a cross with my name on his heart? If you want to say that, why would he do that for me? It's so, it's so humbling. Like, who am I? And the reality, yeah, that's the question. Who am I? Who did I think I was? Who am I? And how much do I love you, God, and thank you for what you've done for me? That's that's what keeps me. And should keep us in the faith as we grow this understanding that all who were dead, specifically me, God looked out from heaven and saw you. And he saw me from the days of eternity. And the world continued. And he didn't allow me to die lost. And I could have. Right? I could have. He, for every one of you, you can say that God sent the right person into your lives at the right time for your salvation. And it wasn't you. Right? We can all go around and tell our stories about coming to Christ without, without you know, glorifying it, but coming to Christ because God sent the right person into your life in the right circumstances, in the right situation, in the right time, and then you listen. And He does that for everyone but it's not everyone who listens. And what an amazing gift. And it's, and it's really humbling. And so here these folks are in service to Christ, and they're staying faithful and true, and, and Peter's reminding them of the uniqueness of their faith, which is so powerful. And he goes on the next section and says, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be of sound judgment and sober in spirit for the purpose of, of prayer. What? Why do I need to prepare myself through my lifestyle so that I can pray? I thought I would prepare myself for the battle, go fight. No. You prepare yourself. You stay. You stay. Remain sober in spirit. You keep sounding your judgment so that and for the purpose there's a purpose purpose is prayer that's the purpose right on one hand it's our Christian faith but you can't walk this Christian walk 
His walk of faith without what? Prayer. It's not me. It's God in me. See the reminder? Because remember, contextually, these folks were looking at death. Right? Death was staring them every day in, in their faces. And, and, and the persecution was, was a very real physical persecution for them. It was, it was something to where when, when they went to work in the early hours of the morning and, and the late hours of the evening, they weren't sure they were going to come home every day. Not because of themselves, but because of Christ and the Christ in them. And how often have you needed a quick prayer? Right? Stay, stay ready so that you can pray. Stay sober so that you can, you are able. It becomes your very first thought is prayer. Your very second thought, thanksgiving. Right? And you're driving down the street and someone cuts you off and you get through it and you go, whew, thank you God for that. Right? As opposed to, what, what does the world do? Right? I think it's called road rage. No, that's not what we're supposed to say. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us from this, this situation that could have, could have... I know, you said, oh, no, that was me. Well, well, suffering develops a love for believers in Christ. And they'll know that you're Christians by what? By your love. I thought it was because I'm strong, you no. Know? I thought it was because I was really good at what I no, it's not. None of that. I thought it was because I came to this building. Mm, no, it's not it's not that. It's by your love. Because love is unique, isn't it? it God love is unique. So let's think about love. So God is love. So love has if you will, you could go through all the characteristics of love. But when you go to 1 John 3 uh, and verse um, 18, you find that God is love in a unique way. He says love is two things. And the two things are action and truth. So God is love in two ways. Two ways defines the love of God. Just to simplify love and all the characteristics of love in action and truth. So we know for, you know, it's impossible for God to lie. Got that. Action. God sent His Son, right? God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Now take that same concept or idea and bring that into your marriage. Love is two things. Action and truth. So to be like God means my actions must always exemplify godliness. My wife will know that I love her through my actions, right? I'm not out at the bars or clubs or wherever. I'm not out, you know, where she feels like, you know, something's going on. I'm not. My action proves my love. It demonstrates my love. And then how about honesty? Truth. Don't you just want your spouse to be honest, right? So we have these two things that everything about life revolves around my truth and my action. And so successful marriages are full of actions and truth, right? That's the, 
That's, if you will, the umbrella. If you want to put everything else under the umbrella of action and truth, you'll know, you'll know when you're loved, right? We know God loves us because God has never lied to us, ever. We know that God loves us because of the action that God continually displays. And that follows through life for all of us, right? God should know that we love Him through our action and through our truth, right? Be fervent in love. Verse 8, above all, Keep fervent in your love for one another because love does something. What does it do? It covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Think about that. Someone that you truly love and has truly loved you and they do something, you're quick to forgive. It's easier to forgive. Not necessarily that it's right, but it's easier to forgive those whom you deem worthy to be forgiven, right? It's harder to forgive the one who always lies to you and their actions are always devious or, or destructive. Or, and though God says forgive your enemy, hard to forgive Rome, the Roman soldiers, right? Paul, the apostle who persecuted the church. But later on, that display of Cornelius, his love, right? And his truth that display of Paul's love and his action and his truth, love covers a multitude of sins. I mean, love is it, right? Love is so powerful that it, get, it gets us through stuff, right? The, the, the bad stuff of life, the good things in life. It just keeps us, it keeps us united. It keeps us together. Love is amazing, Right? Love never fails, the Bible says. That's still true to this day. And so love covers a multitude of sins. You know, I know so-and-so did that. But you know, I, I, one thing I know, they love me. So they didn't really mean to do it or say it. Or, right? it's, love, is, love is impactful. It's amazing. Right? It, it is the, the strength and the glue for our Christian walk of faith. Right? Love. Love is it. Why, they, why did why the apostles and the early church members, the, the multitude of them, why, why did they die for Jesus? Did they sign up for it? No. Because they love God more than they love themselves. What, what compels us to walk away from sin? Because we love God more than we love our sin. I mean, we have to get there, right? Where, well, I really love this sin. I always I enjoy doing Yeah, but God doesn't. Also, I love God more than I love, than I love my sin. And I'm looking for this amazing grace. We'll come to that later. But love also helps with the next verse, with hospitality, right? Be hospitable, verse 9, to one another without... Wait, get your ink pen and scratch that one. No, you can't, right? You can't scratch that out. Without complaint. No. That's valid. Hmm. I think the Bible says stop. Okay. Stop complaining. And instead of complaining, use your gift. What gift? 
Well, God's giving you a gift. All of us, right? Verse, um, verse 10, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We're going to be sending out a, a um, just a form for the church, asking you to fill it out. To um, it should be simple. What is your gift, and how can you use it here at this congregation? We want to know because we want to use your gifts, right? Because you, each one of you, us, have a special gift. What is that gift? Well, this morning would be beautiful to hear all the gifts that we have, but they're all unique to us. Something that you enjoy doing, you're good at doing, you're just, right, we're all, we're all different. What is that gift? And we could probably uh, ask one another, what do you think my special gift is in Christ? Well, we have to find, search for, seek out, if you don't already know, what your gift is and employ it, use it, right? Use it for the benefit of God first and use it for the benefit of the church. Use it for your own benefit and your own purpose, if you will. Every morning when you wake up, you've got this, this purpose because now today I'm going to live the way God wants me to live and I'm going to employ this special gift that he gave uniquely to me. Right? And if there's someone else that has the same gift, maybe we could work together right, and benefit the church in some way. A one way or another. Benefit even the world. And do all for the manifold grace or, or, or blessing of God. So what is your gift? Well, in verse 11, whoever speaks, let him speak as if the oracles of God, right? So make sure that if you're using the gift, you're using it in a spiritual way for the benefit of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were of the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what if your gift, um, you know, let's just use a, a thought of kindness. And, and the Roman soldier comes along and, and he knocked on, and he needs some water and some food. What, what would that kind person do? Amazingly, they would they would not only bring him in, they would feed him and give him water, and and you know they would they would do all to the glory of God, and knowing that. On that same man's route, coming back this way, he might think about the fact that, you know, I think only Christians do that. Let me stop by again. And he may stop by for one or two reasons. One, to learn about Jesus. Or two, he might come by to take me to Rome. Remember earlier we were talking about husbands and wives? Right? What about that relationship? That kindness toward the rebellious or disobedient. Using or employing that gift that God has given to you because life is short. And when do you use it? 
You use it in good times and you use that gift in bad times, right? So verse 12 is going to start talking about the bad times. Right? It's going to talk about suffering. And this is what it's all about uh, in, in life. Life is full of joy and beauty and blessedness. And I mean, wow, right? But it's also full of the hard stuff. Right? And each one of us have been through some really hard stuff in life. Beloved, verse 12, please. But this is suffering for Christ. Beloved, do not be surprised at the kindness among you. <laughs> right? No. The fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. I used to always think this verse only dealt with God testing us. But it doesn't say that. Sometimes people test us, right? Don't they? Sometimes Satan tests us, right? You ever heard of the? You know, I don't know how how true this is, but I've heard the the account um, of I think it was in in, in Russia um, that the soldiers would come through. It came through to the church, and they came armed, and they um, they they asked if if any of you are want to live if you would like to live you you need to leave right now but if any of you are willing to die for Christ stay here and of course you know what happened right many many got up and left but there were also a multitude who stayed and once once the ones left who were Christians but just weren't there yet spiritually I guess we might say I don't know how I respond to that I hope I know I hope I would do it God's way. But anyway, um, the soldiers then laid their arms down and said, we, we want to know more about Jesus. Um, but we, we, we couldn't let anyone know that we were here because they'd put us to death. So we had to get rid of the people that we knew would tell on us. Now, I don't know how true that is, but wow, what if that is true? <laughs> they, they had to ensure that the people in that building at that moment, that whatever that uh, area was, that though these soldiers were testing them, um, they had to be sure they were really all about Jesus. And when we're tested, well, there's this amazing revelation, right? That either I'm really all about myself or I'm really all about Jesus. How many of you failed that test? I have. It was really all about me. Really all about me. Hmm. If I go through the same thing I went through, would it now be all about Jesus? Well, I don't really want to find out. <laughs> I don't want to go through that testing again. But what is it really all about? So the testing that comes upon us through this fiery ordeal, right, through, through tremendous suffering, and, and we're not to, we're not to see, view it as something strange, but as something that's normal. Because the reality is that we are tested whether we're Christians or not. But this particular testing is 
without a shadow of a doubt, it comes upon the people of God because they're Christians. Right? And so Christians are tested. Who are you? Are you really a man of God? Not, am I? Is that really who I am? And if the testing does come from God, well, okay, here's a gift that God will consider me worthy of a, of a test as he tested others in the Old Testament. You imagine being Abraham and God saying, I need, I want your son, your only son. Would you have said, Lord, I can't do that. Oh, it, how would I have done that? But to the degree, in verse 13, that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Hmm. Back to the earlier comments, testing and temptation and trials, suffering is actually good, right? It, it's, so, it's so good that you... It's glory, the glory of God all over it. And you can exult in it. You can, wow, there's something good about this. As you read in Acts 5, where they said, we were just thankful that God counted us worthy. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Does it feel good? Nope. Until you see the blessing in it and you go, wow, that was for Jesus. You know, <laughs> maybe that comes later, but by no means that any of you suffers a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name, let him glorify God. And so back to listening to Acts 5 and listening to the apostles in prison, coming out of prison, being persecuted and saying, thank you, God, for counting us worthy of this. There's this different perspective of if you're doing something for Jesus and you suffer for it, thank you, God, for allowing us to suffer this tragic event in the name of, the name of Jesus and for Jesus. And then he puts it all into perspective and he says, don't forget, all of us are going to die. And all of us are going to be judged. And it's that choice, that decision that you make in those key moments of your life where you choose Jesus, where you choose God, that you receive your blessings where God recognizes you in a, in a different way, if you will. For the judgment, listen to verse 17. It is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. We don't have time to, to really dig into those verses, but... Why would it be God's will for some to suffer? And maybe that's not the right question. It seems like the question the apostles are asking 
was, God, give me a chance to suffer for you. Because they kept on preaching. Even though they were told, sternly warned, do not continue to preach in the name of Jesus. And they said, oh yeah, we must obey God rather than men. What a purpose-filled life. That today, God has given me an opportunity to put him above self and above all of humanity to bring glory and honor unto his name. And if I'm suffering or if I suffer or am persecuted because of that, thank you, Jesus. That's supposed to be our mindset. Thank you this morning for your time. I appreciate it very much. Uh, We're dismissed until I worship. God bless each one of you. Remember last week, by the way, encourage each other, right? That's what we're here for this morning. Uh, Say kind words to each other and encourage one another in Christ. Thank you.